Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Of the podcast in a sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, December 14th, 2020, people. I hope everybody is having a great week, a great weekend. And uh, yeah, this is going to be one of those shows. I've said it before, I will continue to say it. There are times where, I'll be honest, I love what I do, but it is sometimes hard to piece together 25, 30, 35 minutes of quality content for you each and every Monday. Today is not one of those days, though. So much to get into, so we will get into a busy weekend across college sports. Obviously, the big story coming out of Sunday, Gus Malzahn out at Auburn. I'll tell you why it happened, why I think there's a very obvious replacement for him. Hint, hint, that person may have recently appeared on this podcast. We will talk about the big game at the Swamp at Florida, where uh, where Auburn, where Florida is upset by LSU. Shocking result, crazy result. What does it mean for the playoff picture? And I also think it brought up a conversation that we've been having on this podcast for months about the idea of a team like Florida playing 10 games in the regular season going to play the SEC championship game next week as opposed to an Ohio State sitting at home only playing five games where does it where does it fit in what does it mean for the playoff very fascinating conversation that we will get into later in the show we will then take a quick break and we will also talk about what was actually a very busy weekend in hoops uh, some fun stuff some not fun stuff obviously we We'll talk a little bit about the crazy Keontae Johnson situation at Florida. Uh, not going to spend a ton of time on it. The most important thing is we just hope and pray that that kid is okay. Uh, we will transition to uh, Coach K Part 2. Last episode, I obviously talked a lot about Coach K, what happened at Duke, why I thought he was wrong. Well, Nate Oates came after him, kind of backtracked over the course of the weekend. But the bottom line remains, it remains a contentious point in college basketball as Duke has basically Shut down its program for a few days. Talk about that. Wrap on Kentucky, which lost again, but may actually be showing a few signs of life going into the week. So very busy show. Ton to get into. Let's not waste any more time. Uh, But before we get to the show itself, very quickly, the usual reminders that I do. First of all, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. iTunes 
the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like and what you don't like about this show. A review really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Uh, Finally, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And as I've mentioned a few times, we are now deep into the holiday season. Cannot believe that we're two weeks away here. But for those of you still looking for last-minute gifts, two quick pieces of advice from your buddy AT. First of all, uh, Cameo.com. I've mentioned it a few times now. Cameo.com. If you're looking for something uh, for a friend or family member who listens to this show, I know we have a lot of fathers and sons, brothers and sisters, friends that listen to this show, and you want something for them from this show, cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres. Get a personalized greeting from your boy AT. Uh, Happy to do it. I'll say whatever you want me to as long as it's appropriate, but you can get a personalized greeting from me there. And then as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I am working with a really cool watch company called La Terrain. Uh, La Terrain, it is pinned to the top of my Twitter feed for more details, but if you want something nice for your father, uncle, cousin, brother, sister, mom, dad, um, La Terrain watches are awesome. You go to my Twitter page, at Aaron underscore Torres, and, uh, and yeah, and, and you can use promo code Aaron to save 10% on your purchase. You see something you like, use promo code Aaron to save 10%. All right, people, let's get into it. No more blabbing, no more time to waste because so much happened over the course of this weekend. So let's get into it. And to me, the big story, while Florida on the field was clearly the big story, the bigger story to me was the craziness of Gus Malzahn being fired on Sunday at Auburn. And I think for most of you, uh, you were no different than I was. You guys were probably sitting around, guys and girls, were probably sitting around watching the NFL. You know, I was enjoying a little Tua versus Patrick Mahomes. And out of left field, you just see Gus Malzahn fired at Auburn. And it was a shocking decision. It was a shocking move, not because we thought that Auburn fans were necessarily happy with Gus Malzahn, but currently in the climate that we were in, it was a little bit shocking. So first of all, just a little bit of background on it. Uh, on the not shocking side, I guess you could just say very simply, well, it's Auburn. <laughs> and for those of you who are not college football historians, Auburn has historically, I don't know that I agree in this case, this is the example to use, but historically they have had a little bit of a short leash with coaches. Uh, Gene Chizik, who won a national championship in 2010, was fired two years later. First coach to ever be fired two years after winning a national championship. And overall, this is kind of an incredible stat. There are three different coaches in my lifetime, I'm in my 30s, that coached at Auburn that have been fired that have had an undefeated season. Gene Chizik had one when he had Cam Newton. Uh, Tommy Tuberville had one. And before that, before I even really was watching college football, Terry Bowden had an undefeated season, was eventually fired at Auburn. So Auburn, not afraid to pull the trigger. And because of that, uh, it it wasn't really that surprising. I do think, though, given the context of where we are today, December 14th, 2020, I do think it was pretty shocking. Very simply put, first of all, this guy, listen, I think we can all agree that Auburn uh, wasn't at the top of the SEC, not competing with the Alabamas and Georgias, their biggest rivals. But Gus Malzahn had gone 68-35 and 35 overall, uh, had won two division titles, had played for a national championship in 2013, ironically a game that I attended against Florida State. 
Um, but beyond that, um, you know, he, he, he beat Alabama a few times. He gave Nick Saban fits as much as anyone has given Nick Saban fits. And I think in the broader picture, it's, again, the climate that we're in in December of 20, uh, 2020. Uh, yeah, December 2020. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We all kind of understood that, yeah, if you were really bad, you might get fired. But I thought that I think we all thought that unless something catastrophic happened, uh, most of these coaches would survive for at least another year. And so when you look at Auburn's record this year, they did finish six and four overall. I will say that they did lose to the three best teams on their schedule. They lost to their rival Alabama. They got smoked. They lost to their rival Georgia. They got smoked. And they lost to Texas A&M in a game that that they had a lead late, but but really Texas A&M was the better team. And so I get both sides, right? I, I understand the person that was sitting there saying, uh, this this is not shocking. It's Auburn. They lost to the three best teams. But I would also say they went six and four in the middle of a pandemic uh, in a year where they largely took care of the teams that they were going to suppo- they were supposed to take care of. And so I think a lot of us kind of realized, hey, in the big picture, Gus Malzahn's probably not the guy to topple Nick Saban. I don't think after eight years he's going to somehow figure out figure something out that's different to have success against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. But I think given everything, it was surprising that it happened this offseason, especially given this. Uh, Gus Malzahn is owed $21 million to, uh, to finish out his contract at Auburn. He has a $21 million buyout, which means that Auburn has to pay him $21 million to not coach their football team this year. And to me, I know we've all kind of become numb to buyouts in college football, but that's the part that's preposterous to me. I just figured, look, Gus ain't the answer long term, but in the short term, let's run it back for next year. Let's get that buyout number down. Let's get a vaccine out there. Let's get fans in the stands, and let's make that $21 million something closer to 10 or 12 and hope that you could get rid of them and that the finances are in order, the books are in order, and that it's a lot easier. So the fact that he was fired with $21 million off a good but not great season, that is the shocking part to me. Uh, I would also say, by the way, we can probably bury this notion that we're not going to fire coaches in the middle of a pandemic when Gus Malzahn's owed $21 million. Not sure if you guys saw this over the weekend, but Kevin Sumlin fired at Arizona. He'll be owed close to $8 million. Will Muschamp was owed $13 million. Uh, Lovey Smith was also fired on Sunday as well. I'm not quite sure in his bio, but I think that narrative of we're not going to fire coaches during a pandemic. Yeah, we could throw that one out. Should also probably mention that Tom Herman uh, had Texas been able to get the candidate that they wanted. Tom Herman was probably also sayonara. See you later at Texas. So with all that said, Gus Malzahn is gone. I think it's both shocking and not shocking. But to me, when I look at this in the bigger picture, I think one simple thing. I think that Auburn definitively has their next head coach, and I think we all know who that coach is. A man that recently appeared on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. A man by the name of Hugh Freeze. (laughs) And before I get into Hugh Freeze, uh, I kind of want to contextualize this a little bit because obviously whenever any coach gets fired, you kind of see a lot of, uh, you know, names pop up and all that stuff. And there are a lot of good names associated with this Auburn job, as there should be. It is a good school. They will pay you well. I mean, they're paying the former guy $20 million to go away. So you know you're going to be paid well at Auburn. Um, And, you know, the names are probably names that you're probably not surprised by. Billy Napier, who was a candidate at the South Carolina job, uh, he is the head coach at Louisiana. They are currently 9-1, coming off an 11-win season. 
He is a candidate. Uh, also, Mario Cristobal is a candidate. Mario Cristobal is the head coach at Oregon. They just won the Pac-12 last year, just went to the Rose Bowl. He has ties coaching in the Southeast, played at Miami, coached as an assistant at Alabama. And so a lot of people are sitting there saying, well, maybe Mario Cristobal would be the fit. First of all, let me say this. Mario Cristobal, it is a not-so-hidden secret in the world of college athletics that Mario Cristobal is the 11th highest-paid coach in, in the Pac-12. So out of 12 teams in the Pac-12, Mario Cristobal is the 11th highest-paid coach. And so to me, when I see his name pop up in this search, I don't believe that he's actually realistically a candidate um, for the simple fact that I think he just wants a raise at Oregon. I think he wants to be paid the way that he believes that he should be paid in a conference that he just won this year. So don't be surprised to see him use his name to leverage a better contract at Oregon. And by the way, they better move quickly because signing day is coming up here in the next few days. Uh, I don't know what Auburn's going to do, but Oregon has a top 10 recruiting class and Mario Cristobal has to get that new contract. If that's what he's aiming for, he better get that thing signed, sealed and delivered or that class might fall apart really quick. Uh, so I don't think Mario Cristobal is a guy. Billy Napier obviously could be. But I want to ask one very simple question. When you fire a coach and you want to pay, and you're willing to pay him, I should say, $21 million to go away, do you think Billy Napier is really the name you're going after? Do you think that Mario Cristobal, with due respect to him, is the name you're going after? Or are you going after a name? Are you firing a coach and paying him $21 million if you want the supreme candidate that you know you can get and that you know will rally the fan base? And if that's the case... I don't see how it's anybody other than Hugh Freeze. And so to me, we'll get into Hugh Freeze in a second, but it becomes the very simple situation of, let's just think about this logically, people. If, if, if it's not Hugh Freeze, if we're just going into a coaching search blind and we don't know who it could be or where it could be or who would take the job, who wouldn't, would you really fire Gus Malzahn and would you really pay him $21 million? And on top of that, if you are going to fire him and you are going to pay him $21 million, are you going to bring in anybody other than a guy that it's going to be a home run hire and rally the fan base? Is it, could it possibly be anybody other than Hugh Freeze? And I think the very simple answer is no. Now, in terms of why Hugh Freeze is a home run hire, well, you know, he's been a hot topic on this podcast here over the last two or three weeks. I talked about his candidacy at SEC schools. At the time, we talked South Carolina, maybe Tennessee, uh, but, but it doesn't change, right? He has some good and some bad, but it is out in the open. The bad is, of course, that there were major NCAA rules violations under his watch at Ole Miss. I will say, in Hugh Freeze's defense, the NCAA did not find him guilty personally of any, any rules violations. And, of course, he had the off-the-field situation with the escort service, whatever, blah, 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 which he actually talked about on this show. And he said he's not proud of it. And he said he made amends with his wife. And he said that he went to his wife uh, long before the story came out. I don't know if that's 100% true. I can't speak to it. But I will defend Hugh Freeze by saying he's been very open about it, not just on this podcast, but basically every other interview he's done. So that is the bad with Hugh Freeze that I think every fan base is kind of wrapping their head around of does it make sense, does it not make sense. But you know what the good is? He's a really good football coach. Like, he's a really good football coach. And that is where I think this would rally the Auburn fan base. Is that he is a guy that, first of all, back-to-back -back Sugar Bowls at Ole Miss at a time when the SEC West was really rolling, right? Nick Saban at Bama. By the way, Hugh Freeze beat Nick Saban twice. Gus Malzahn at Auburn. 
Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. Like, there were some really good teams with some really good players in that league, and Hugh Freeze was running up through and around him at Ole Miss. And on top of that, he's now done it again at Liberty, which is currently at 9-1 and one, uh, with, uh, you know, with their season basically over pending a bowl game. But the bottom line remains, the guy is a great football coach. And so to me, it just feels so obvious that this has to be the guy for Auburn because why else are you going to fire Gus Malzahn and be willing to pay him $21 million to go away, be willing to have the boosters cut a check in this current political environment, political, not the right word, but this current economic climate? Are your boosters writing a check just to go out onto the market and hope you get somebody? Or do they already know who they have in Hugh Freeze? I would also say one thing that's really important here, which I put out on Twitter, which got one fan base really upset. I think this is the time to make the move if you're Auburn, and here's why. First of all, Gus ain't the guy, right? Talked about it, eight years, two SEC West titles, a couple wins over Saban, which is incredible, relatively speaking, but he's not the guy to eventually take down Saban. The bigger thing, though is that this is a year where South Carolina has already fired and hired their new head coach, and it doesn't appear as though anyone else will have a coaching search this season. And so because of this, I believe that Auburn wanted to get ahead of the posse and take care of this and get it done for the very simple reason that if they don't and they wait until next year, they could be competing with the University of Tennessee for Hugh Freeze. And I think if you're competing with Tennessee, that's not a place that Auburn wants to be in because I think Auburn's a really good job. But SEC West, Nick Saban, uh, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin kind of has things scary at Ole Miss right now. Or you could go to Tennessee where, you know, Florida's good, but they don't play defense. Georgia's good, but they don't play offense. Like, like, like if, if we're talking a year from now, it feels as though – Hugh Freeze, if he has a choice between Auburn and Tennessee, he might take Tennessee. I would also add, kind of spent most of his early portion of his career at Tennessee, obviously in Tennessee, I should say. We all know about the blind side. We all, for those of you who haven't heard the story, there's this famous story of on his honeymoon, he's driving through the South with his, with his wife, stops at Neyland Stadium and says, I want to coach here someday. I want to coach in the SEC someday. So to me, what this is really about from Auburn, you don't, fire Hugh, you don't fire Gus Malzahn if you don't know who the next guy is, and you do it now so you don't have to compete with Tennessee potentially next year for Hugh Freeze. Now, of course, there's always a situation where Jeremy Pruitt totally figures it out in year four, uh, and I don't think he's been quite as bad as people say. He hasn't been good, certainly. But you look at the Hugh Freeze situation or the Jeremy Pruitt situation, if they have a normal out-of-conference slate, are they potentially 6-6 six and six and going to a bowl game? I don't know if you replace two SEC teams, including Texas A&M this weekend, uh, with, with, with bad teams. Do you potentially go to a bowl game? I don't know. I'm not saying Jeremy Pruitt's the answer either. But to me, I look at this situation with Hugh Freeze, and I say very simply, I think Auburn is getting ahead of the posse and saying, look, if we, if we had to wait until next offseason, we could get into a bidding war with Tennessee, and it's a war that we might lose, not because of money, but because of the circumstance where maybe that he just wants that job more. So it's savvy by Auburn if it ends up happening. And I'll tell you this, too. There was one other tea leaf that kind of came out late Sunday that makes me believe that Hugh Freeze is going to be the guy. Not sure if you saw this, but Brett McMurphy put out on his Twitter feed, the respected voice of college football, college football insider, that if Hugh Freeze does in fact leave Liberty, that they may go out and get Art freaking Bryles, baby, <laughs> all right? Art freaking Bryles. 
And listen, what the, the should Art Bryles be a head coach probably is the conversation for another day. All I know is that a few schools have vetted him and maybe his actual responsibility for what happened at Baylor wasn't what it was reported to be. But what I would tell you is if Liberty is already making it publicly known that they have a list behind Hugh Freeze, I think it means that they believe that he is ready to leave and take that Auburn job. I would say I could see all this happening very quickly because of the fact that, again, National Signing Day is Wednesday. They need to get the new coach in place. They need to get the new circumstances in place to let that coach succeed and go out and hopefully sign a top uh, top recruiting class. But the fact remains is that this is fascinating. Gus is out. I believe Hugh Freeze is in, but it remains to all right, let's get off this uh, Gus Malzahn, Hugh Freeze craziness. Let's get into some actual on-the-field stuff where, look, I told you on Thursday's episode it was going to be a quiet weekend of college football, and for the most part, you know, frankly, kind of was, right? I mean, when you have the number two team in the country, Notre Dame not playing, Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, I mean, all of the big brands and best teams basically weren't playing except for Alabama and Florida, so because of it, you assumed it was going to be a quiet week, and right up until about 11 o'clock Eastern on Saturday it was, right up until we saw uh, Florida get stunned at home by LSU. And the one thing I will say is, look, you guys kind of know where I stand on this whole season and COVID and all that stuff, but what I would say very simply is the one thing that this season really has lacked is these crazy competitive, fun, last-second, down-to-the-wire finishes and upsets. And I think the reasons why are pretty obvious. One, the best teams are really good. Clemson's really good. Ohio State's really good. Um... Florida up until the other night was good. Uh, A&M is good. Alabama's good. And two, the worst teams are getting worse, right? Because the worst teams as the season has gone on, um, you know, have players opting out, have players not willing to play, have players seeking professional options, have players hitting the transfer portal. And so it's been this kind of crazy season where we're all glad there's games on the field, but there hasn't been all that much drama in terms of what has actually happened in college football. And so I bring that up because of the fact that we finally got an incredible finish in a meaningful game in college football. It came Saturday night at the Swamp, and it basically was like the most quintessential college football finish that you could ever really imagine. Uh, for people who did not see the game, first of all, uh, you know, LSU just comes in this beleaguered, embarrassed program. They opted out of a bowl game. They took a quote-unquote self-imposed bowl ban for the 2020 season, even though they were not going to be playing in a very good bowl game, if at all, because they were 3-5 and five coming into this game. Players are opting out. The t- program's struggling. But they come, to, they come to Florida, they play their rival, and they frankly completely outplay them, and they win in the most preposterous fashion possible. Uh, I'm sure all of you have seen the highlights by now, but late in the game, it is tied 34-34. LSU's offense is on the field. They're driving. Florida gets a big third down stop. Uh, and then one of their defensive players, there's a shoe on the ground, and the defensive player picks it up and chucks it downfield. It's an LSU player's. And the kid's hit with a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, keeps the drive alive, puts LSU in field goal range, and their kicker, Cade York, booms a 57-yard field goal that ultimately ended up winning the game for LSU in what was the – it was just a stunning upset. There's no other way to look at it other than that it was a stunning upset. LSU, as I said, 3-5 uh, and five coming into this game. Uh, 
they lost everybody. We know about everybody that they lost off last year's team, both the, both coordinators, and it was just a totally forgettable season for LSU up until this night, and in many ways, it was probably their bowl game, right? They can't play in the postseason. It's just been an awful season. They just got embarrassed by Alabama. Again, there's no reason to think this can happen, um, but it does, and LSU wins. And now when, it's, when we talk about the playoff picture, uh, it creates some intrigue and some interest at the very least, and we'll get to the bigger ramifications momentarily. I think in the small picture, in terms of the playoffs, all it really says is very simply this. Florida's basically out of the playoff picture, right? The way that they were going to get in was win this game, go to the SEC championship game, beat Alabama, you're in the playoff. It's really that simple. Now, even if you beat Alabama, is a 9-2 and Florida team going to get in? They might, they might not. It's up for debate, but they're probably on the outside looking in, and they still have to beat Bama, which they are certainly not going to do. And then I think even if they lost to Bama, um, but it was competitive, and if some other things happen, maybe Ohio State loses, maybe there's a chance they sneak in the back door. Now, I think they have to beat Bama, they have to beat Bama convincingly, but even then, it might not be enough to get them in. In terms of everybody else, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure uh, that it really does all that much for Texas A&M. Texas A&M is obviously the team sitting at home. They still have to play Tennessee next weekend, but they're the team that's kind of just sitting there lying in the weeds, kind of to use a, a golf term, they're sort of in the clubhouse, but they need something bigger than Florida losing, right? They need Ohio State to lose. They need Notre Dame to beat Clemson, to give Clemson a second loss. They need maybe Clemson to crush Notre Dame, proving that the Notre Dame win over Clemson earlier in the season was fluky. But for the most part, it doesn't feel as though this did all that much for Texas A&M, and they need to not only win next weekend, but they need some help along the way. I will say Texas A&M does have a little bit of an advantage, though, because normally these teams that aren't playing in the conference championship games are not playing on the final weekend. This week, this year, they are. And so because of it, maybe Texas A&M gets a little bit of pub if they crush Tennessee. Maybe Ohio State plays a, game, a close game. Um you know, uh, Notre Dame and Clemson if something weird happens or something like that. So yeah, that's kind of the scoop with Texas A&M. And like I said a minute ago, I don't know that all that much has really changed. I do still think they not, not only need to beat Tennessee convincingly, but also need to take care of business and hope that other teams struggle, other teams lose and all that kind of stuff. Uh, before we get uh, through with this college football segment, I will say there was kind of an interesting thing that also came out of the Florida LSU game. Uh, and that was Dan Mullen in the post game, And I'm sure by now you guys have seen the quotes, heard the coach quotes, heard the quotes referenced. But in essence, Dan Mullen was asked about his playoff picture, about Florida's playoff picture. And he basically referenced something that we've talked about at length on this show with college football. And that is the idea of this, these crazy imbalanced schedules that we see this year. And this is something that I've really been hammering home, really maybe since the Big Ten came back, where what happens with a 10-1 Notre Dame versus a 5-0 Ohio State? Or what happens with a 9-0 Cincinnati versus a this team versus a that team? That team won their conference, that team didn't. This team has one loss, but they play twice as many games. And so it's been kind of this, this topic that's been bubbling under the surface of college football. It's been brought to the head over the last few days. Dabo Sweeney talked a little bit about it last week when he was asked about it as it pertained to Clemson. Then Dan Mullen was asked about it in the postgame press conference. He was basically asked, should your playoff stature be impacted by this loss? What does it all mean? Here is what Dan Mullen said. This is a direct quote. I don't have a vote on that. I'm not in the room. I know we've played 10 games, so I guess probably the best thing to do would, would have been to play less games 
because you seem to get rewarded this year for not playing games in college football. Damn, Mullen, off the top rope. My goodness. Uh, and like when I look at this quote, uh, I do think two things can be true, right? I think first of all, I will say it does have a little bit of a Coach K after the Illinois game feel where I don't really believe that Coach K said what he said because his team got smoked by Illinois. But what I would also say is I don't think it looks good to make the comments that Coach K made after your team got smoked by Illinois. It's one thing to say after a 22-point win over whomever, hey, maybe we shouldn't be playing these out-of-conference games anymore. It's a lot different. It lands a lot different than after you get smoked for the second time at home. So I think with Dan Mullen, I think there was a portion of the college football fan base and the college football world that kind of thought, come on now, dude, you just lost. Now you're bringing up this Ohio State thing. But like, I do think it's a relevant point, right? And I do think really what we saw on Saturday speaks to what college football is, which is what I just talked about a minute ago, which is the idea that the games on the field do have to matter. And the one thing that's crazy about college football is every year we have these totally unexpected upsets that we couldn't see coming under any circumstance. Last year, this year we had LSU Florida the other night. Last year, if you remember, South Carolina stunned Georgia at Georgia. Clemson has taken weird losses in the regular season at Syracuse to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Ohio State, it's worth mentioning, uh, has taken some weird losses. They lost to Purdue a few years ago. They lost to Iowa a few years ago. Two losses that frankly cost them a playoff berth in each of those seasons. And so, like, I do think Mullen's point does kind of hold weight, right? College football, like, like at some point, I do understand that you want the four best teams in the college football playoff, but I also do think that we should be rewarding teams that are going in week in and week out, night in and night out, playing games, playing the games that are on their schedules, whether they're shorthanded, not shorthanded, whatever. If you paid attention to the Florida game, uh, they didn't have their best player, Kyle Pitts, but they kept playing anyway. And so when Dan Mullen's making this point, like, yeah, I do think it's a little bit of sour grapes. I do think it's not the best look to say it after a loss. But I also think he's kind of got a point. Florida just completed a 10-game SEC schedule. They've played, you know, 10 games since September 26th. Now they're going to play Alabama on top of this, where you have Ohio State at home. They've played five games, and they've played two games in the last five weeks. Had the Maryland game canceled. Then they played Indiana. Had the uh, Illinois game canceled. Then they played Michigan State. Then the Michigan game is canceled. And now they're going to play Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. And so, like, Dan Mullen's point of, we're playing every freaking week here, guys. Come on now, throw us a freaking bone. Whereas Ohio State has basically, for each of their last three games, had a bye week going into it. And so, in theory, you would think that uh, Ohio State was at its best going into all three of those games. Now, we'll see if it happens next week against Northwestern. But I think it's a fair point for Dan Mullen. And I do think it is a point that I, I, I don't, I feel like I'm the only one talking about it, Right. I feel like I understand that, yeah, Dabo and Dan Mullen said it, but I think that I feel like I've been as vocal about this idea of why are we rewarding teams that have played half as many games, whether it's their fault, whether it's their conference's fault, whatever, when they're simply, we don't have the math to back it up. And then beyond that, I would take it a step further. It goes to what I said on last Wednesday's episode about the college football playoff committee. I have never been one of these conspiracy theorists. Oh, they only put in teams because of TV ratings and eyeballs and this and that. But it's kind of hard not to think that this year, right? Like, like to me, I think Ohio State's a really good football team. I think they're really awesome. I love watching Justin Fields. I would take him with the number two overall pick if I had the number two overall pick and I couldn't get Trevor Lawrence. 
He's that special. He's that good. I thought he was awesome the other week against Michigan State in a game where he was basically playing with his backup offensive line. But if you look at what Ohio State's actually done, first of all, five games total uh, in a season where, again, Clemson and Notre Dame will complete an 11-game schedule next week. Uh, Florida and Alabama will complete uh, an 11-game schedule next week. And Ohio State's going to play six games. And on top of that, are we really ranking Ohio State at number four because they're the fourth best team in the country or that they have the resume of a fourth best team in the country? Because you look at everybody else. Alabama's beaten two teams ranked in the top ten, okay? Notre Dame has the win over Clemson. If Clemson wins, they'll have the win over Notre Dame. Ohio State, they've played five games. They've played one team with a winning record. It's Indiana, okay? Indiana is the only team they've played with a winning record. Now, it's not Ohio State's fault that Penn State stinks this year and Nebraska stinks this year and Michigan State stinks this year, but they do stink. And Ohio State's played one good team on the entire schedule, and we're just putting them in at number four because they're Ohio State. And I even brought this up on Twitter the other night, and I, and I probably didn't phrase it pro- appropriately, but I think you'll understand where I'm going with this. We've been comparing Ohio State versus Texas A&M. We've been comparing Ohio State versus Florida versus whoever. How about this? Ohio State, as it stands, is 5-0, and playing for a Big Ten championship next week. USC is 5-0 and and playing for a Pac-12 championship next week. Yet USC is ranked number 15 in the country, and Ohio State is ranked number 4. And to be abundantly clear, I'm not saying that I think USC is as good as Ohio State. I don't even think it's close. To be abundantly clear, I'm not saying USC deserves to be ranked significantly higher. But what I am saying is, if this committee is ranking teams based on their resumes, based on what they've done, how can you tell me that one 5-0 Power 5 team is ranked 15th in the country and one Power 5 team is ranked number 4 in the country? You can't, unless one particular thing is true. That you're just basically basing, ranking teams based on what you think they should be or how you think they should be or where you think they should be ranked and not on anything that they've actually done on the field. And to be abundantly clear for the last time, Ohio State, I want them in the playoff. I want to see Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields versus Bama or Justin Fields versus Notre Dame or Justin Fields versus Texas A&M for that matter. I don't think it can happen, but I want to see it. They're fun. They're awesome. They're great to watch. But all I'm saying is it does kind of prove what I was telling you the other day, right? The committee's just making stuff up as they go. They dropped Cincinnati uh, because they haven't played in a few weeks, but Ohio State hasn't budged. Ohio State has the same record as USC. USC's ranked 15th, Ohio State's ranked 4th, and Ohio State's played half as many games as Texas A&M, Clemson, uh, Notre Dame, whoever. So I'm not going to get too worked up about this, but I did think Dan Mullen's uh, comments resonated. I did think they made sense. I did think they were interesting, and I did think they were worth evaluating because I do, I do believe that over these next few days going into next weekend, this is going to be the single biggest conversation. If Clemson and Notre Dame are in or if they're not in, and you're talking about Ohio State with the same record as USC, why is USC ranked 14th or 15th and Ohio State's ranked 4th? Why is Ohio State ranked ahead of Texas A&M when they're potentially going to have basically one good win on their resume against Indiana? Northwestern's okay, but Northwestern can't score. So anyway, I did think Dan Mullen's comments carried weight. I had no problem with them at all. All right, I think that's it for uh, this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, I do want to hit on some college hoop stuff. The, the Keontae Johnson stuff, which was obviously really, really, really scary. We will get into that. Uh, we will we'll follow up with Coach K. I just referenced him. Uh, with the Nate Oates stuff and, and Coach K canceling one game, uh, which was they're out of conference. And, of course, I'll talk a little bit about Kentucky going one and four, but there were signs of life. I'll be back here momentarily.
All right, everybody. Uh, I am back. Uh, nice to take a little break there. Nice to kind of break up the college football and college basketball stuff. It is amazing that we're still in college football season. We still have so much stuff coming out. For those of you who do tune in for the college basketball stuff, promise that it will be ramping up here over the coming weeks. And there is plenty to talk about in terms of college basketball. Obviously, when I last left you, there was the crazy Coach K story, which we will get into a minute. Since then, Coach K has canceled some additional games. A couple coaches in the sport have come after him, specifically friend of the Aaron Torres pod, Nate Oates. Uh, we also talk a little bit about Kentucky. They fall to one in four, but I do think there is a silver lining in all of it. But we do want to start, and I do want to start with, with maybe, frankly, maybe the most serious topic I've ever talked about on this show, which is the circumstance with Keontae Johnson on Saturday morning. And I know most of you know the story, and I know most, know most, know most of you know the details, but very briefly, just as a quick background, Keontae Johnson is a player at the University of Florida. Uh, frankly, one of the best players in the SEC, one of the best players in the country, a player that had he declared for the NBA draft, probably would have been drafted last year. Instead, he comes back, plays for the Florida Gators, and a lot of the reason that people were excited about them is because of Keontae Johnson, their star player. On Saturday afternoon, Florida was playing Florida State, and Keontae Johnson collapsed. Uh, there is no silver lining in all this, but there was no TV camera on. It was during essentially a commercial break. You, you can't really see it. You can't really feel If you look hard enough on the internet, you can probably find some video. I did see it. It is a mortifying, terrifying, awful circumstance. Keontae Johnson was rushed to the hospital. Keontae Johnson was pronounced... Uh, in critical but stable condition, so it feels as though there is a chance that he can potentially make a recovery and be okay, but Florida coach Mike White is still with Keontae Johnson in Tallahassee. Keontae Johnson's family has come down. My understanding is they're going to try to get him back to Gainesville at some point, but the current status is critical but stable condition. Um, and I think when we look at this circumstance, what I would essentially say, there really only is one quote-unquote take to have right now, one quote-unquote opinion to have right now. And that's that. Let's all just pray for Keontae Johnson. Let's just pray that this young man that has such a bright future ahead of him makes it through this, hopefully with no long-term health repercussions, and frankly, hopefully can get back onto the basketball court. But even if he can't, um, that he can presume and resume a normal life. That is the only thing that matters right now. That is the only thing that needs to be discussed right now. But of course, people can't settle there. People can't stop there. And so they took it to a level that, frankly, I'm uncomfortable speculating about, but I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least bring it up. And that is that people immediately associated this potentially with a heart issue related to COVID-19, specifically myocarditis. And if you remember, myocarditis was a very... Uh, big topic in the discussion of the return to sports. Um, the idea being that people that test positive for COVID have, uh, you know, had uh, uh, myocarditis in some cases, small, a small percentage of cases, but there were cases where people did have myocarditis, which is an enlargening of the heart. And if it's not caught, if it's not taken care of, it can be fatal. It's a terrifying circumstance. And there have been athletes that have been held out of competition in college athletics after catching uh, COVID-19 because of myocarditis. Just last week, Al Blades Jr., one of the best defensive players at the University of Miami on their football team, announced he had myocarditis. He's not going to be able to do anything football-related, I believe he said, until the springtime. So this is serious. It is mortifying. We, 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 we certainly have to be aware of it. 
But I will also say that I was totally, completely uncomfortable with people making the jump that because this poor kid collapsed, that it was absolutely myocarditis and COVID-19 related. I even saw the AP, the Associated Press, which is supposed to be the media company of record, right? The AP is very simply supposed to be who, what, when, where, why. They immediately, in their recap of the game, threw in that there had been an outbreak of COVID at Florida and that this might be myocarditis related. I thought that was so incredibly inappropriate. And to be clear, guys, you've heard me talk about this for six months. So let me carefully phrase my opinion on all of this. You know that I have believed that we should press forward with sports, but we should only press forward with sports if it's safe. And I believe that every piece of information that I've gotten, I try to either speak to smart people, uh, speak to coaches, speak to trainers, speak to administrators, read things directly from the CDC, the World Health Organization. I don't go on crazy message boards. I don't do Twitter threads. I don't do Facebook threads from Aunt Mildred. I try to find reputable, good information and base my facts off of other people's facts, base my opinions off other people's facts. And my opinion has always been that as long as it's safe to play sports, we should be playing it. And if it's not safe, then we do have to reconsider. And if it's not safe, then we shouldn't be playing sports. And so because of that, um, that is where I will continue to stand until we, we, we get further information on anything. It doesn't just have to be Keontae Johnson. But as it pertains to Keontae Johnson, I just want to say that I am completely uncomfortable with other media members taking it that far. And I hope he's okay, and I hope he's fine, and I hope it's not related. And for the record, if it is related, then yes, I will have to reconsider where I stand and what I believe and what I thought I believed. And should we not only be playing college basketball, should we be playing sports in general? until we find out more about this virus. But right now, we don't have that information. Right now, all we know is that this poor kid collapsed. We do know that there was a COVID outbreak in the Florida locker room. Um, if he did catch COVID, I've seen people like Jeff Goodman say that they believe that he did at one point have COVID-19. Let's never forget, the SEC requires you to have a heart scan before you can return to play if you do have COVID. Not just the SEC, all the power conferences. Never forget, remember, Trevor Lawrence was cleared to play for the Notre Dame game, but because he hadn't had his heart scan, Clemson wouldn't allow him on the field. So I really hope this isn't COVID-related, and I really do believe that if it is COVID-related, yes, I potentially will have to reconsider my stance on sports. I think everybody will, but I just want to say that I'm not comfortable going there yet. I will be willing to go there as we get more information, but right now the only thing that matters is I just hope Keontae Johnson's okay. I hope he makes it through, and as I've said a bunch of times, it isn't about um, you know, playing football, playing basketball, this, that, the other thing. It's about making sure young men and women are safe. And right now, all I really care about uh, is hoping that he's safe. And we can base everything else off other things depending on the information that comes out. Let's now uh, transition to some other basketball. And let's get to some funner stuff because uh, the last time that I did a show on Wednesday night, you listened to it on Thursday, uh, Coach K was running amok in these Twitter streets. And Coach K, of course, made national headlines. It was probably the biggest story of the day on Wednesday because Tuesday night, his team got their brains beat in by Illinois. And after the game, Coach K went to the podium and basically said, uh, yeah, we shouldn't be playing college basketball. And on the one hand, 
I don't think Coach K did it because he lost. But as I just said with Dan Mullen a minute ago, when you go to the podium and say cancel the season after you take a beating at the hands of Illinois, it isn't a good look for Coach K. I don't think it was a good look for Coach K. And I don't think it was a good look for the reasons that I mentioned on the last show. I already talked about it. I'm not going to get too in-depth in with it. But for the, for, the, for the people that did not hear me on Thursday, what it comes down to for me is that I do not believe that we should be canceling college sports because, or college basketball specifically, because we always talk about mental health. We always talk about looking out for the student athletes and that uh, everybody's going through something and that there's more to sports than just whatever. And I believe mental health is very important. As I said on the last episode, my wife works in the mental health field. My sister works in the mental health field. My sister-in-law works in the mental health field. I take it very seriously. And I believe that for the mental health and for the safety of these players, the absolute best thing that we can do is press on and keep playing basketball. Uh, as I said uh, on the last episode, I don't think people fully understand how isolated these players have been over the last two, three, four months. They're not living the college experience that you and I lived when we were 18, 19, 20 years old. They're not going to parties. Heck, half these campuses haven't had students on them all fall long. Even if they do, it's not like you can go to the bar. It's not like you can hang out with girls, hang out with your girlfriend, hang out with your buddies. You're largely isolated. You've heard people on this podcast talk about it. Rick Barnes on this show talked about um, how the, the, the locker room was a sanctuary for him and his players. Now they're not allowed in there after practice. Uh, Eric Musselman talked about the fact how they're going to have to travel on two buses instead of one. They're going to have to change the way they eat pregame meals. These are realities for these players, and the only reason that, uh, you, you know, the, the, the thing that keeps them going, the only thing that gives them structure in life is basketball. And so, no, I, do I don't agree with Coach K. I do believe that they should keep playing, and I do believe that it's best for these players. And so since I, I did that rant on Thursday's episode, two things with the Coach K story have changed. First of all, Coach K canceled his out-of-conference games, so he did, to his credit, put his money where his mouth is. And two, other people have come out, supported me, and kind of crushed Coach K, most notably Nate Oates. And so we'll get into the Nate Oates stuff in a minute, but starting with the Coach K canceling the, the out-of-conference stuff, uh, I'll say this, it was definitely an interesting story. Uh, I just referenced Jeff Goodman a minute ago. People, I'm sure, know College Basketball Insider. He reports, he does this big breaking, Duke has canceled its out-of-conference game. Well, as it turned out, they had one out-of-conference game left, and Coach K canceled it, uh, and, and he kind of cited what I just said a minute ago, mental health. And so on the one hand, I can't really blame Coach K because if I'm going to sit here and talk about mental health of players and needing to play games and needing the structure of college basketball, then I can't really criticize him because he believes that for his players' mental health, the best thing would be to take a few days off, send them home, get them away for a few days around Christmas time, get them back, and get them recharged for January and the start of ACC play. In total, only one game was canceled. Duke still does play Notre Dame this Wednesday. Uh, and then my understanding is that Duke would then send their players home after the Notre Dame game for a few days uh, before they would then pick up the ACC schedule right around the, the new year. And so I, on the one hand, I can't criticize Coach K because if he believes it's the, the best for his players' mental health to not be around campus for four or five days, who am I to say? But what I would also say it does run a little counterintuitive to what he just said a minute ago. Because if you listen to the press conference on Tuesday, what did Coach K say? He said, it's not safe for our players to be traveling all over the country. The CDC is telling us not to travel over the holidays. So what is Coach K doing? 
The first thing he's doing is putting his players on planes. First thing he's doing is sending them home. First thing he's doing is putting them at risk. And so to me, all it really says is exactly what I told you last episode, is that it's very clear that Coach K, um, this isn't about the health and safety. This isn't about mental health. This is about Coach K doesn't want to coach in a pandemic. He doesn't want to do anything more than he has to. And it's not to take away from Coach K. It's not to say he's not a legend. It's not to say he's not a great coach. But as I said on last episode, he's got a five-month track record of he doesn't really want to be part of this whole deal of college basketball in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe that changes when the vaccine comes out. Maybe that changes once we get into the meat of the schedule. Heck, maybe it changes when they start winning some teams and beating some, winning some games and beating some real good teams. But it's clear that he doesn't want to be part of this. It's clear that you know he's doing as little as he can, keeping himself as safe as he can. And again, as a 73-year-old, I get it. But let's call a spade a spade here. If it's really about we can't be traveling, we can't be doing this, we can't be doing that, well, then why are you sending your players home? It's got to be one or the other. I don't buy it. I think it's crap, but I did think it was interesting. You know what else I thought was interesting was for the first time maybe in my lifetime, other coaches really came after Coach K. And I saw Kevin Willard from Seton Hall came after Coach K. Uh, basically said just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's right. I saw Tom Izzo kind of say the same things that I said. Uh, about mental health and players needing to be in the gym. And then how about our buddy Nate Oates really coming after Coach K? Now, on Saturday night, he did kind of retract what he said, but he did say three things about this whole circumstance, but he did lead with the whole, if Coach K wasn't 2-2, two and two, would he really be having this conversation, which is what made all the headlines and what, frankly, I believe made him apologize because I don't think that he really thought it was going to turn into the story that it did. But I also don't think it changes the fact that what he said is right. And what he said was important. And I'm so glad that he said it. Uh, and, and, and everyone got so caught up with the Coach K quote that he was really the first one that I heard say publicly the things that I said on this show last week. I listened to that Nate Oates quote two, three, four times. If it wasn't three minutes long, I'd put the whole thing in the podcast here. But outside of what he said about Coach K, Nate Oates said three really important things I thought. First, he said exactly what I just said a minute ago. We talk about mental health. If it's really about the mental health, the best thing we can do is let these players play basketball because they've been isolated, because they're in their dorms, because they literally go from the basketball gym to their dorms back. They can't hang out with their teammates. They can't hang out with their girlfriends. Uh, When they're on the road, they have to go straight from the hotel to the arena and back. Um, you know, they can't play video games together. For the mental health of these players, basketball is all they have. It's the only time that they can be together. And so, no, canceling the season is not going to make things better. It's actually going to make things worse. That was actually the second thing that he said, that Nate Oates said, that I, I totally agreed with. And again, everything was made about the Coach K comments, but I thought some of it was undersold. He also said, in addition to the mental health, he said the safest place these kids can be is playing college basketball. And I've seen other media members and other prominent college basketball writers and reporters, I won't name names, but I heard one of them say this and it drove me nuts. What is he talking about? It's the safest thing. The safest thing is not to be playing college basketball. We're having these outbreaks because we're playing five-on-five contact sport. First of all, there's no data that backs that up at all. There's no data that transmission is happening when I go to set a pick on somebody that I'm coughing on them and that they're getting COVID from me. It's actually the exact opposite. If you follow the CDC guidelines, it's if you're within six feet of somebody for more than 15 minutes, well, guess what? 
Nobody's within each, within each other's space for 15 straight minutes when they're playing basketball, so that's one. But two, it goes back to stuff that I've been saying since August, guys, and I can't believe that we are almost in January. We're almost in 2021, and I'm still saying the same stuff. But it is, it is absolutely, as Nate Oates said, the safest thing they can be doing is playing basketball. They're under the supervision of the best medical doctors in, 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 in their regions, in their areas. Um, I forget, I think it was John Calipari actually who said, there's hospitals right here on campus. If anything happens, we have medical facilities right here. And the most important part that nobody understands, if we're not playing basketball, guess what happens? We're going to send them on home. They're not going to be under the supervision of doctors. They're not going to have the structure and discipline of, hey, I got to keep my nose clean literally and figuratively because I got to play basketball. If they're not getting tested every day, they're not going to know if they have the virus. They're not going to know if they can actually transmit it to the people who are at real risk of the virus, which is their parents, their grandparents, uh, anybody that has any kind of medical condition. That is the risk. So yes, it is absolutely the safest thing they could be doing to play basketball. And I can't believe that I'm still having this conversation. But the idea that if we're not playing sports, that somehow these players are not at risk of getting the virus, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then finally, what Nate Oates said, which I thought was really, really, really interesting. He had a quote that I thought was fantastic. And I tweeted it out, and I hope you guys got a chance to see it. But what he said was this was he was asked about this whole circumstance. And basically what he said was this. Humans, they're not, this is a direct quote by the way, from the video, it's, it's on my Twitter page. Humans, they're not made to sit alone in isolation for weeks on end. We have to be careful on how we do life, but we still have to do life. I just thought that was such a great, incredible quote from Nate Oates. Because when I look at this whole situation, This has been my single biggest frustration about this virus, how we cover it, how we handle it. Some of you disagree. Some of you probably have already turned off the show if you disagree. You probably stopped listening months ago. But two things can be true in how we handle this virus. We can be responsible. We can be safe. We can be respectful of each other. We can give each other space at the grocery store, in the coffee shop, in our restaurants. We can do all that without also feeling as though if anybody wants to leave their house at any point, they're a barbarian who has no regard for human life. And so I love that quote from Nate Oates where he said, we have to do life safely, but we have to do life. And I'm not going to get into all of the craziness going on in the world right now, but we got restaurants shutting down. We got uh, gyms shutting down. Uh, Where I live is like not only a ghost town, but you're seeing more and more boarded stuff boarded up and all that stuff. And so we have to do life. We have to move on. And anybody who wants to proceed, it doesn't make you a heathen or a terrible person. It just means that you can find that balance of being respectful of others, but continuing to live your life. So I loved everything Nate Oates said. I thought it was awesome. I wish he hadn't apologized. I do understand why he did apologize, by the way, because I don't think he had any idea that it was going to get the backlash that it did. But man, I'm just so happy that somebody said what I've been telling you because these are the conversations that are happening in college sports right now. There are more than Nate Oates who believes that, um, you know, there's more than Nate Oates that believes that, that, that Mike Krzyzewski was wrong for saying it, that it is best to move forward, and I'm so glad that he said it. All right, finally, 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 I want to wrap on the Kentucky Wildcats. And I, I really was hoping I wouldn't have to talk about Kentucky again today. 
They had lost three in a row. I've talked about them on the show three episodes in a row because of those losses. And I was just hoping, like, man, can we get through a show where I don't have to talk about them? Unfortunately, though, that's not really an option because Kentucky lost for the fourth straight game on Saturday against Notre Dame. Um, I do think there were some positives, though. This was the one, right? So, so like, they've lost four straight. But for the first time, we can actually maybe see lights at the end of the tunnel. Maybe this season isn't a complete catastrophe. Maybe they will be okay after all. And so let's get into what happened, all the dynamics of it, because it was really kind of a crazy game. Kentucky falling behind by 22 points at halftime. Worst uh, halftime deficit in the history of Kentucky basketball at a home game and yet rallied where they had a shot at the buzzer to potentially extend the game against uh, Notre Dame. And so to me, what the story comes out of this is, first of all, with Kentucky, I know that nobody wants to hear excuses for Kentucky, nor should they. This is Kentucky basketball. If Alabama was 1-2 after three games, or 1-3, and three, or 1-4, and four, or 2-5, and five, nobody wants to hear excuses. Results, Alabama, this is what we do. Same with USC, Ohio State, Texas, whatever. But I will say in defense of Kentucky, and I've been critical of John Calipari the last few episodes, this kind of was the worst case scenario or a perfect storm, if you will, for this team to struggle, the events that went into this season. This is his team that had the fewest returning minutes in the history of not only Kentucky basketball, probably college basketball in general. In total, Kentucky had one player returning this year who had played any minutes last season. That player has yet to play because of injury. And so because of it, Kentucky has had an entirely new roster in a season where they return to campus later than ever before. They've had less practice time than ever before. And as I just said a minute ago, they can't hang out. They don't know each other. Like they're hanging out. In the, they can't even hang out in the dorms because of the fear of COVID and spreading and contact tracing and all that stuff. And so because of it, because of it, it was almost this perfect storm. Now, it's not an excuse, and the K- Kentucky is 1-4, but what I will say is for the first time, there were actually positives, as again, Kentucky fell down 22 points at the half, yet had a shot at the buzzer to win the game against Notre Dame, which, you know, if you're good at math, means that they outscored Notre Dame by 21 points in the second half, held them to 16 points. Part of that was Notre Dame just stunk, but part of it was Kentucky was a lot better. So first of all, what I would say with Kentucky, if you're looking for positives, one, and this is important, I have always thought this entire season they play really hard on defense, right? And I know it doesn't always show in the box score. Notre Dame shot like 85% in the first half. That's a slight exaggeration, but they couldn't miss. But defense is so much about effort, right? And if, if Kentucky wasn't bought into what John Calipari was selling, if they weren't bought into winning, if the players didn't care, The defense, it would show on the defensive end of the court. There is no doubt about it in my mind that we would be seeing the ripple effects of not believing in John Calipari, not trusting John Calipari on the defensive end of the court. Instead, Kentucky's actually played really well defensively for most of the season. Now look, when they get down, do they you know, not play at 100%, of course. I thought they quit against Georgia Tech, but the entire Kansas game, they played hard on defense. Uh, The entire Richmond game, for the most part, they played hard on defense. Um, And for the Notre Dame game, I thought they were playing hard on defense in the first half. Second thing that's a positive for Kentucky, Olivier Saar, their best player probably, or at least their most experienced college player, was awesome on Saturday. 
And I was a guy that came on this show and I hyped the heck out of him and I believe that he is the best transfer in college basketball this offseason. And he really didn't make me look very good over the last couple days. But in this game, finished 11 for 16 from the field, 22 points. And of course, he was the guy that had a shot at the buzzer to potentially win the game. It didn't go in, but that's part of basketball. And he is at least playing at the level that I thought he was capable of playing at. The team as a whole played much better, crisper basketball than they have. This was the first game, as best I can tell, except for the opener against Moorhead State, where they had fewer turnovers than they did assists. Just 11 turnovers on Saturday, so much better than it's been. 14 assists for Kentucky. The three-point shooting still needs to get better, but again, it keeps going to what I'm saying. They finished 5 for 23 from the field, which is 21%. If they just shot like 30%, 29, 28, 27%, they win this game. Shooting 30% at the college level with the guys they have is not too much to ask for. And so at some point, the shooting is going to get better. And at some point, if they can combine that with what they did on Saturday, they're actually going to be a half-decent team. Now, will they get there? I don't know. I put out this tweet on Saturday, which was kind of, I got why people were confused by it. But the point I was trying to make was very simply this, was what I said was, is that basically Kentucky is going to be defined by whether they can build off of what happened against Notre Dame. And the question now is, will they, right? And they're so young and they're so inexperienced and I'm not sold that they will because you have to, you have to go through the wars, you have to get that experience. But if they can build off what they did against Notre Dame, they're going to win a ton of games. And at the very least, they're going to start this weekend against UCLA competing like heck against the, uh, against the Bruins. But what I would say is that is the big thing. They showed signs. They showed signs of positivity. They showed signs of growth. The question now becomes, will they build on that and will they get better? All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Podcast. By the way, I talked about Kentucky. How about in the SEC? Just want to give a quick shout-out. I used to do shout-out of the day. Well, shout-out of the day today goes to those Missouri Tigers who out of nowhere, Missouri, we are talking about Missouri should be a top-10 team come Monday. They beat Illinois on Saturday, um, and they have the two best wins of anybody in the SEC in basketball. They beat Oregon a few weeks ago on a neutral court, and on Saturday they beat Illinois at home. And this was a team that I picked to finish ninth in the SEC. I believe the writers picked to finish 10th. Just want to give Missouri a quick shout-out. And this was a veteran team, a team that did return everybody off last year's team. And you felt like, okay, if they can figure it out, uh, if they can just play the way that they're capable of playing, this will be a very, very, very interesting team. Didn't want to give credit to Missouri, who's playing some really good basketball. But... I think it's time to get out of here. That's it for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Just truly, again, appreciate your support. The numbers continue to be awesome. I know we're more people are, again, stuck at home, traveling less, commuting less. Uh, but you guys have been awesome in your support for this show. And uh, let's keep it going into the new year. We're almost there. Can't believe it. Uh, but if you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Do it on, the, on iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, Tune in radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Uh, let us know what you like, where you listen, all that good stuff. Finally, if you're not following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. And as I mentioned a few times, if you're looking for a gift for your loved ones this holiday season, cameo.com. 
slash Aaron underscore Torres. I can do a personalized message for your friends, for your family, for your loved ones, all that good stuff. Happy to do that for them. Uh, also, uh, La Terrain Watches, you can find that tag to my Twitter page, the top of my Twitter page. Um, that is uh, at Aaron underscore Torres. If you're looking for something nice for your loved ones, La Terrain is the way to go. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Wednesday. I think we're going to keep the Wednesday show. I think there's more to talk about on Wednesday. So I will be back on Wednesday, and I hope everybody has a great night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.